We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How we doing and good morning to you today. IB Countdown to Kickoff is off and rolling. I'm with Vince D'Addario, Sean Styers. Glad to have you with us. And I apologize in advance for the YouTube live stream watchers if there is any confusion. You know, when we set the show every morning or, you know, before every show, you know, there's obviously a place where you can schedule the time and all that stuff. And I believe I forgot to select an actual time when I first scheduled it. So I went back and put in. 10 a.m. A lot of people have been ready to go for this. Welcome to you. Glad you're here. How are you this morning, Vince? I'm great. I've been up and at him for quite a while, you know, dishing kid, you know, my kid off to the championship breakfast this morning and uh, getting ready for the show and everything else. And it's going to be a long, busy day, Sean it is. Tires, So It's the first of three shows for you today, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that Well, I will not be involved in the middle show. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to be in the middle show, but not, but oh, well, no, no, yes. I thought you were going to be involved in all three. I, I will be at the regional way. championship soccer game at that gotcha. time. So gotcha. I will be dad, and then I will be back to being IB man uh, later on. But yeah, but, I mean, I'll let you kind of take it from here about what that middle show is all about. Yeah, and the reason there is a middle show, there's there's just a lot going on today. It's a <laughs> night game at Notre Dame, so that obviously is more time during the day for one thing. But uh, Brian Driscoll has a special live show. He's going to be on campus at Notre Dame today. This is a pretty big deal, actually, it's the fact that he's allowed to be on campus. Yeah. At 3.30, they're going to be doing a live show. They're going to be over by the Golden Dome, the administration building. I don't know exactly, but over by the Golden Dome is what I've been told. Uh, fans will want to get there 3.15-ish. For a 3.30 start this afternoon, you're not going to want to miss it. There's going to no. be some cool stuff going on. Big surprise coming yeah. up during the show. Yeah, so make sure that if you are in town, if you are anywhere nearby, go there, be in person. We want as many people there as possible, you know, cheering, getting excited, you know, the whole thing. So make sure you get there. If you can't get there in person, make sure you are watching at 3.30 like you normally would right here on the YouTube channel, 3.30 sharp. Uh, big surprise, big announcement, however you want to phrase it. It's pretty pretty cool stuff, I have to say. This is a, I want to say this is probably a first. Uh, yeah. I, I think I, you're I, right. I will say this is right. a first. So check it out. Ryan Roberts is going to have a uh, recruiting piece for us coming up here in a little bit. He's done this in advance, but we'll have that coming up. 
in a little bit because this is a big recruiting weekend for Notre Dame. Tons of recruits on campus. And, you know, that's kind of part of what is going to be going on with Brian's show at 3.30 today, for that matter. But uh, welcome wherever you happen to be listening today. Hit the like button while you're in here. Subscribe, rate, review. Robbie, one of our regulars, he's an Auburn guy. I assume he is listening down in Alabama. And um, Brent Smith, good morning, Irish Nation. 6.30 in the a.m. in Monterey, California. He obviously put that in a little bit ago, but Monterey is a place I'm familiar with. I spent a year there. That's where, uh, I won't say my Army stint began because of course it began at good old fort leonard wood missouri at basic training but (laughs) after fort leonard wood spent a year at the defense language institute learning to uh gavarit the ruski the uh the russian language there for a while beautiful monterey you know everyone i think knows about the beauty of uh monterey you know even if you haven't been there i've heard of it it is a great place it is a great place that is right If you love drinking coffee every morning, you have to check out Trade Coffee. Trade makes it super easy to get the best coffee delivered fresh from the finest local roasters around the country. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so simple for you to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. No fancy equipment required. Trade partners with the nation's top-rated independent roasters to send you coffee that they know you'll love, fresh to your home, and on your preferred schedule. And you get to support small local businesses, which is a win-win. Whether you already know what you like or are new to specialty coffee and need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. They'll send you ground coffee or whole beans for however you make coffee at home. My wife likes a dark roast with full flavor, and every brand we've tried has lived up to the billing. Whether it's the Big City Blend from Joe's Coffee, the Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters, or the Holmes Blend from Sparrow's. Every cup has not only had a pleasing aroma while brewing, but also a rich, full taste. So whether you're just getting started or a coffee aficionado looking to discover something new, Trade guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll send you a new one for free. Upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork out of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your subscription, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash irish. That's drinktrade.com slash iris for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. That's drinktrade.com slash irish. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We've got them listening all over the place. 
whether it happens to be Alabama, Monterey, California, all points in between. I know we've got guys and girls all uh, all over the country. Absolutely. Welcome. Welcome. Glad to have you with Notre us. Dame game day. So That's right, baby. We're That's all right. fired up over here. And we've got Notre Dame and Stanford today. <clears throat> it's a uh, a series that has taken place mm-hmm. um, every year since 1997, with the exception of the 2020 pandemic season. Uh, you know, of course, you know, when all the rivalries pretty <laughs> I was much say that down. pretty much sucked, but <laughs> not having yeah. Stanford on the schedule didn't suck though. No, yeah, just saying. Won't won't disagree with that. The Legends Trophy is on the line today, Vince. The uh the Irish looking for their fourth straight win in the series, which would be their longest streak against Stanford since winning seven straight from 2002 through 2008. And it's kind of crazy to think that as up and down as really that stretch from 02 to 08 ended up being for Notre Dame, they still dominated Stanford back then. That was, you know, the the pre-Harbaugh era. And of course, <laughs> once Jim Harbaugh arrived and then, you know, handed off the baton to David Shaw, things were on the upward swing, but things have also, the pendulum has uh, has really swung the other way. And we'll, yeah. we'll get into more Stanford, but uh, they are, uh, they're a bit down right now, obviously. Yes, they are. They are down, and the problem is it doesn't look like they're, there's not a whole lot of light at the end of the tunnel uh, for the Cardinal, and I think that's the biggest issue for me when it comes to Stanford and the viability of them being on the, no- the Notre Dame schedule, um, and I know we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit more, but I just I just don't see it being worthwhile right now uh, <laughs> having them around. I know that sounds I bad. Agree. But there are other options. If if being out on the West Coast is your be-all, end-all, there are other options, I will say. Well, and look, you know, again, we'll get into this. I, I guess we'll just save that because we've got that coming yeah. up in rapid fire. We can save that so we don't get sidetracked on that too early. <laughs> Which we're good but about I agree, doing. <laughs> I agree with your sentiment for sure. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame, of course, coming off a 28-20 win over BYU Shamrock Series last week. Let me let me start you off with yeah. this. You know, you you like to call me the stat guy. You are the stat guy, man. <laughs> Come up with the greatest stats. Is there a stat from that game that stands out to you, Vince? Yeah, I mean there is. I, to be honest with you, and I know th- this isn't a sexy stat necessarily, or or one where you know you're going to come up with. I'm sure that dives into this whole thing. But for me, it was it was Drew Pine's stat line: twenty-two of twenty-eight. Really good. 262 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. And the pick really wasn't his fault. It got tipped at the line, you know, et cetera. So I, there was an over under, you know, I always like trying to play those parlays and things like that. There was an over under of like 225. I was like, I don't feel so hot about that. Yeah. And he ends up like majorly eclipsing that uh, for him. And so I was pleasantly surprised with the statistical production of Drew Pine. I, you know, he is progressively getting better and better and better as they open up the playbook a little bit more, a little bit more. And he has risen to the challenge up to this point. And so I've been impressed. And I'm not saying that he's proven me wrong, but he's doing a pretty darn good job of making me think twice about, you know, a lot of the things that I said about Drew. And, and again, none of them were negative, but he is exceeding my expectations right now. And his stat line from the uh, from the BYU game speaks to that. Yeah, I agree. And we're going to talk more specifically about him in a minute. And, I, you know, part of why I think 
he's able to have so much success, especially these last two games. Now, obviously, the defense you're playing against, you know, is is a part of it. But sure. Notre Dame is eleven was eleven of sixteen on third down in that game, and of course, yeah. I think it's like what it was at least five of those that went ended up going to Michael Mayer and they converted first downs. One of those third downs was a touchdown pass to Michael Mayer. But like, if you look at eleven of sixteen, which is just a great number, this team was not good the first couple weeks of the season on third down. Eight of sixteen or, or eleven of 16 in that game, 8 of 14 the week before that against North Carolina. So if you combine those two games, 63% on third down the last two weeks. And the third downs are a heck of a lot easier to convert when you're running the ball the way they are because they were just 29 of 68, 43% for the season before those first two games. Now, the last two games, they're up at 63%. 63%. So they're just killing it on third down right now. And again, the running game getting going the way it has, has really helped those that that third down percentage these last couple of games. Oh, absolutely. And that, that honestly is a great stat because winning or losing a game, a lot of times comes down to, you know, turnover margin, third down efficiency, you know, that kind of stuff. And they have been so good on third down and they were so good it, specifically last week, I mean, you, you said it, right? Their, their third down <clears throat> completion percentage was off the charts. I, they were even converting tough third downs. I mean, it was it was impressive. Uh, I will say that. And it just seemed like it didn't matter what, you know, third down that they were trying to accomplish. They were accomplishing it. And uh, it shows in the final stat line. So I, I was really impressed by that. Absolutely. And uh, of course, the, you know, I think the biggest story to come out of this game and NBC did a good job of hitting this pretty hard, you know, which they should have, especially in the first half, Michael Mayer becoming Notre Dame's all time receptions leader for tight ends, 11 catches, 118 yards, two touchdowns in the game. The 11 touchdowns are a single game record for an Irish tight end. His 146 career receptions that he now has are six more than Tyler Eifert. So that he's the career leader there. And it was just, an all-around huge day, yeah. obviously, for Michael Mayer last week. The guy, I mean, he continues to impress, obviously. he Just when you think that he's not open, he makes himself open. He's open again. It, it, it's just, I mean, Drew Pine throws him open. Drew Pine obviously trusts Michael Mayer, maybe sometimes more than he should. But at the same time, <laughs> it's, it's impressive. I mean, it, it is very impressive what he is able to do when he is clearly – or should be clearly the focus of any defense that he goes up against. And it was funny because it was like, I was thinking about BYU. It's like, did you guys even prepare for this game? I mean, did you notice that 87 plays for Notre Dame that you might want to try to shut him down a little bit? And then when they started double teaming him, it still didn't matter. I know. I mean, he's that good at the moment in receiving the football. So, I mean, he continues to impress and, I know that the kid down in Georgia, Bowers, is a good tight end, and he does different things than Michael Mayer, but I'm sorry. There's not much of an argument to be made who the best tight end in the country is. No, I completely agree. And, I mean, the guy has 33 catches now this season. They're the most in the nation for an FBS tight end. And, again, he's the focal point of the offense. And I'm curious to see, as this offense evolved, like, evolves does that change or does that continue because that's what's the most impressive thing is one 
Michael Mayer, you know, from the day he stepped on campus as a as a freshman, right. we saw, you know, what he has been, you know, what what he was able to do. He has this innate ability to just know how to get open. You know, yeah. if it's if, if if it's a zone, he knows the soft spots in the zone and, you know, kind of where to sit down in that zone, finds a way to get open. And then as you were just talking about, even when he's not open, when he's double teamed, you know, maybe, you know, Drew Pine just knows that he can trust Michael Mayer and Michael Mayer, you know, he can put that ball where where only Michael Mayer can get it. Yeah, I mean, and then he goes and makes the play. I mean, it just it just feels like, any, I mean, the catch radius of this guy, and I know that's a technical term, but you know, the overall area that Michael Mayer can catch the ball, and he has such strong hands that if you get it anywhere near him, he's going to come down with it. Yeah. So, from that aspect, I get why Drew Pine is. I mean, I kind of get why he goes after him. He's like, I mean, I mean why wouldn't you? Right. <laughs> you know that if you throw it anywhere in the general direction of Michael Mayer, he's probably going to come down with it, right? Yeah. And, you know, and so I get that that's a security blanket, but that's the next step in the maturation process of Drew Pine, right? Is that he needs to be able to break away from Michael Mayer a little bit and get some other guys involved because eventually they're going to run into a defense that can, I don't think anybody can take Michael Mayer away, but they can slow him down. You know what I mean? He won't have double digit catches for over a hundred yards. That eventually will happen. And so either the wide receivers need to step up and or Drew Pine needs to get them involved. All of this, yes, all of the above. Mayor spoke after the game in Vegas last week. He talked about the connection that he has with Drew Pine, which has pretty much been forged on the practice field. Here's what Mayor said. I mean, we're we're throwing each other. He's throwing me balls all day in practice, but then we're staying after in practice to get balls. Um, you know, Sunday or Mondays on our off days or our lift days. We're going out there and getting some balls. Um, it's a lot of practice, a lot of repetition. Um, it works. It really does. And, and it worked today. I mean, you know, the long and the short of it is these guys work on it. You know, it hasn't happened by mistake, Vince. You know, they're staying after practice, throwing more balls with yeah. each other. I guess, you know, again, the next question is, are some of these receivers maybe staying <laughs> as well? That, work that, with Drew Pine? That is the ultimate question, and we haven't heard it out of the mouths of anybody yet. I, I'm going to go ahead and be the glasses half full guy and say that they are doing that and that they are sticking around and they're running routes and they're doing all the things that they need to do. Number one, I would think from their own personal, you know, get yourself better situation that they would want to do that. And number two, Michael Mayer is the consummate leader. He's the captain on that team. He's not out there by himself. You know what I mean? Like he's making sure that there's other guys out there with him catching those balls. That's what I think is going on. No, I agree. I agree. You know, we we know there's another level for these receivers to step up. We saw to an extent, you know, like Jaden Thomas kind of became really to me. You know, Lorenzo Styles had a nice day against uh, North Carolina. Really, it was about that one catch. Maybe to an extent, Jaden Thomas's day was about the one catch, but again, you know, it was an important one. The 32 yard touchdown pass drew pine, as you mentioned, 22 for 28, three touchdowns last week, 720 yards. Now for the season, completing 72% of his passes with nine touchdowns. And 
Let me ask you this, because, you know, we talked about this earlier in the week. Pine has been a lot of people early on were referring to Pine as a poor man's Ian book. <laughs> but, you know, like when you look at how Pine is doing, would you buy or sell him right now as being an even better version of Ian book? So to the question about him being a poor man's Ian book, I'm going to sell that all day. I don't I don't think that that's the case. I think that he is performing on par with what Ian Book did when he first took over in 2018. And he's also willing to throw the ball downfield. He is putting the ball in places that Ian Book never would have done. I mean, he would either... Exactly. And again, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but I'll bring it up again. He was either too scared, uh, was too worried about protecting the football. However, however you want to say it, okay, he wouldn't do it. All right. He had the physical tools to do it. I think that Ian Book is more physically gifted than Drew Pine. Okay. I do. But Drew Pine's willing to make plays that Ian Book was never willing to even attempt. Right. And I think that makes you a better quarterback. Just like the throw to Jaden Thomas. Like yeah. that's a that's a throw that that Ian Book more times than not would not throw because his his thing was all, you know, and a good quarterback has to be able to one throw to a spot, you know, like if if you're if you're talking about you know like a uh, you know an out or a flag or whatever that ball has to be thrown before the break of the receiver too many times right even though Ian Book had a nice completion percentage he was waiting until after the break and you know is the receiver open or not right. you've got to trust you've got to trust yourself you've got to trust the receiver that he's going to be able to make that throw and a lot of that I think does come down to the film study that. Drew Pine has, but it also has to do with the trust that he has in some of these guys and their ability to make plays that Ian Book didn't always show in in, in some guys. Well, and you know, you can you can talk about the uh the throw that he made to to Boykin, right, at the end of the bowl game, right? That was a throw down the field, but he had to make that throw. Right. He didn't have a choice. You know, I that's mean, exactly that, it. That's yeah. the difference, right? The the throw to to Brayden Thomas was not a you need to make this throw. Right. It was within the scheme of the game. And and look, I will also say that was not a great throw. Brayden Thomas made a play on that ball. It was not a great throw. Right. But he made he was willing to at least take that shot. And it was not at a point of the game where he absolutely had to make that throw. It was within the flow of the offense. Right. That's what we never saw Ian Book do. But like, you know, Bill Walsh says Pines reads are good. He's seeing the open guys. Now he's he's not seen some open guys at times as well, but yeah, he says right. the O-line is getting him time too. And again, like if you want to go back and talk about what was one of the issues that I think a lot of people had with Ian Book is he would have time in the pocket. Yes. But it, like he went through those progressions once, and if he yeah. didn't see something when he went through that first progression, Gone. what's he doing? Ejecting from the pocket, taking yep. off too soon sometimes. Mm. And that's, you know, like – there were a couple times the other night where obviously Drew Pine had plenty of time in the pocket, and he's like he's yeah. like a windshield wiper going back and forth through yeah. the progressions. He's waiting. He's not panicking and, and not ejecting too soon, and that's that's big, I think, as well. Well, and that's it's huge because you're right. Ian Book would have ejected from that pocket way beforehand. He always had the happy feet. He never really got over that. So even when he had a clean pocket, he was getting himself out of there really, really too fast. And that was a that was a major problem with him, and that was so frustrating to me, to be honest with you, because he would have a good pocket, and then he would try to twist and roll out of it, and then like 
Sometimes he would roll into a sack because of that, you know? Stay in the pocket, go through your reads. Drew Pine is not afraid to stand in the pocket, man. I tell you what, almost to a detriment. Like, it was almost making me nervous at times. He's like, okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Got to do something. Got to get rid of it. Come on, get rid of it. But he's super calm in there, and that shows immense trust in the guys in front of him, which that's huge. you got to be able to trust your offensive line, and he definitely does. And so that – I'll tell you what I'm excited about, Sean – being at the game today, you know, we haven't had, they haven't been at home in a month, right? And so we haven't had that live all 22 view that we get from the press box, right? right? So it's more, it's harder for us to be able to see whether wide receivers are open or whether they're not. In a month, I want to be able to see the progression of, uh, of Pine and see, okay, is he hitting guys that are actually open or are the wide receivers struggling to get open? Yeah. I'm excited to see that tonight. And I I think we're, I hope that he has moved, you know, beyond the last time we were able to see him in person. Uh, You know, and people have been, you know, making the comments in here about book, you know, didn't want to make a mistake. Purple face, Kelly and other people talk about Kelly ripping in book. And some of that's true because, you know, like the don't turn it over stuff was obviously pounded in to Ian book and you're going to do what's emphasized. And that was obviously, uh, you know, a big part of what they valued in Ian Book, the fact that he didn't commit turnovers. And, you know, and it's there, there's just, there's obviously a lot of different levels to why he would or wouldn't take some of those chances. It it see it did seem like more in his nature that he wasn't, you know, and like throwing into coverage. Well, that's it's one thing, you know, like to throw a deep post with with a safety waiting back there into double coverage, but you know, it was a different situation like with Jaden Thomas when he's got a one-on-one matchup yeah. and Drew Pine's going to throw that ball up there for him and let him make a play on it, even though there was really good coverage by the BYU defensive back. But he's also not throwing into double coverage right. in that situation. He's seeing single coverage, letting a big-bodied receiver go up and make the play. And again, that was stuff that Ian Book wasn't willing to do. You know, how much of that, yeah. you know, because it was hammered into him by Brian Kelly, how much of it was just, you know, his nature, you know, I don't know, you know, I guess you part know, of it. water under the bridge at this point, but again, sure. Drew Pine is, he, he just, he sees the field differently, I think, and his willingness, you know, to, to trust himself at times, I, I just think is different than what it was with Ian Book. Well, and I will also say the demeanor of Drew Pine is different than Ian Book ever was. Yeah, there's a different kind and, of confidence. Yeah, and even if Brian Kelly was still the head coach, I, I don't see Drew Pine playing any differently. I don't, I just don't see the yelling and the screaming getting to Drew Pine. I mean, look what happened in this first game. What did the yelling and screaming do for him? It made him better. Okay? So, you know, we can all make fun of the do your effing job and all that whole thing, but that got him fired up. Like, that made him do his job, right? And so I think it would have been potentially the opposite reaction if he's getting balled out by Kelly on the sidelines. So. I think they I think they would have handled it completely differently between Book and Pine. I think there's a little bit of truth to the fact that Book was scared of getting yelled at. I think there's a little <laughs> bit of truth to that. And that became his demeanor. And even when he went to the Saints, remember he got that start. Uh, was it Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football? It was in primetime. It was a night game, yeah. And he wouldn't make the throws he needed to make. And you can't do that in the NFL, right? I mean, you, you just can't. And that's why he didn't That hesitation start again. in the NFL is just going to kill you. Yeah. you know, Because, again, 
you've got to be willing to make a throw before a guy is open. And that's, yes. that's, that's the biggest thing with Ian book. And that's just, you know, he ended up getting cut by the saints. I think he's still with the Eagles right now, but wish him well, but I just, absolutely. It's, and it's nothing know, again, against him as a person. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't want people to think we're taking personal pot shots at Ian book. We're just talking about their play and, and the, and we're comparing and contrasting him and drew pine because people just love to compare the two of them. That's, you know, I've always said the ability to perform or not perform is not a character flaw. And, you know, we're not right. ripping someone's character for it. You've got to be able to analyze their play. And right. you know, I don't think anything we've said about Ian Book is is invalid. It's all it's all valid stuff. Look, know? man, I, I had uh, when I was in high school, I was a bit of a holding machine on the outside uh, as a wide receiver. <laughs> Doesn't make me a bad person. But I the definitely stock blocker. <laughs> I definitely had a touchdown called back uh, because I held on the edge. Okay, so you can criticize somebody's play versus their, them as a person, right? And still be okay, you know. So <laughs> just want to throw that out there. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. All right, um, a few different injuries to address. Of course, the biggest one being the season-ending injury. Oh, to Bo Bauer, his knee. I mean, you hate to see it. A captain, yeah. a guy who's been here. For five years and two uh, captains out this year. Two I know. Captains. I was thinking about that, you know, after the Zoom the other day. The fact now you've got Bauer and Avery Davis both gone with knee injuries. Yeah, right. And that's that's so tough. And then the knee is is just it's such a fickle place. You know what I mean? You can yep. barely be doing anything and you just snap a ligament in there. And I've done a lot of stupid stuff and a lot of sports in my day and never had a knee issue. And then the other guys. It just feels like they go one knee, the other knee, and it just issue after issue. And, right, you know, you can't blame the surface. You can't blame this. You can't blame that. It's just sometimes it's just dumb luck, and I feel so bad for him. I think that he had, you know, found his place in this defense. He's obviously a stalwart on special teams, and I think that was probably going to be his route to the NFL, was going to be a, a special teams player. And uh, now that all got kind of gets put into flux with a knee injury. And so I feel so bad for him. And, you know, now it's going to be an opportunity for some of these younger guys to step up. And and I know that just like the backup quarterback is the most popular guy on the team, there's been some backup linebackers that have been super popular that everybody wants to see on the field. And I think now you're going to get, you know, a chance now you're going to get that opportunity and we're going to see how they do. Prince Kali. You know, people have been clamoring for more of him, especially, you know, we've seen him the last couple of weeks. And, yeah. you know, the highlight being that sack that he had. I mean, the closeout on that sack was just really fun to watch as well. You know, but that's we're, – we're going to see more Prince Kali. And so I'll be curious to see how yeah. that looks. And you know, I, I also wonder, like, maybe sometimes, like in some of those dime-type situations, like do you maybe see more Ramon Henderson, you know, like a sure. safety – you know, kind of fill some of that. I think that that could be a possibility to give them, you know, guys who could, especially against an opponent like Stanford, who wants to throw it the way they can and with some of the big receivers that they have out there. I think that that would be a really good decision. Uh, it, it sounds like, and I don't want to jump the gun here, it sounds like Tariq Bracey is going to be back, potentially. And so if he is your nickel, uh, you know, you, when you go to dime, like you said, bringing in a guy like Ramon Henderson to fill one of those linebacker spots would be good. And then you could have, a guy like Jack Kaiser, you know, in there at linebacker because right. he's used to playing in space. And so I think that 
to me, that would be my dime personnel. I think that would be kind of the way to go. And of course, you can rotate those guys up front yeah. on the line. Or I guess even Kaiser as the linebacker, and then right. you know Henderson kind of as the rover slash nickel. Yep. You know that kind. Of, well, yeah. I mean, you there 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 are a lot of different roles that I think a guy like Ramon Henderson can fill in those passing situations. Absolutely, no, absolutely, and and you can obviously blitz him. You know, there's all kinds of different things you can do with Ramon. And yeah, I would, that's what I would do for sure, because you've got guys that can cover, obviously bringing JD in and covering in the past game. That's not his strength. So it's probably not what I would do if I had to pick a linebacker, excuse me. And I probably wouldn't pick one of the younger guys just because there's a lot going on in the dime. Yeah. Charlie Weiss's last belt loop uh, says uh, great show. Lots of uh, great points, score guests. Don't get ahead of yourself, yeah, Charlie, we'll do, because we'll the there, score baby. prediction is coming up. You know, we gotta we gotta pace ourselves. We've That's got right. just a ton of content right. on the show coming up today. So we, of course, will have a score prediction, but we've got to hold off on that for a little <laughs> bit. Speaking of Charlie Weiss, I don't know. You know, I've I'm not sure where people this is have going. asked me. You know, this has come up a couple of different times in the last few weeks. I can't remember. You know, like the whole backstory about how Charlie Weiss and the way he. Uh, completely sunk Kansas football. Oh, you know when he was a head coach. I think it was uh, Stuart Mandel, one of the guys from the Athletic, uh, did a story. I think just yesterday about mm. the. T- I think it was the ten most puzzling head coaching hires of the last <laughs> twelve years. Charlie Weiss at Kansas was number one on the list. Wow. Les Miles at Kansas was number three <laughs> on the list. So. And I mean, you could really like throw in David Beatty, Turner Gill. You know, Kansas has made some really questionable hires before Lance Leopold. That's over fair. The last few years, but Charlie is number one. And and they mentioned, you know, the points that I mentioned when when we talked about it a week or so, a week or two ago. So that's hilarious. Yes, I think he was listening to the show. Hey, that's all. Maybe that's so. all that tells me. <laughs> Bill says, uh, you look younger today, Vince. How are you doing that? Uh, probably just because I decided to shave. Uh, <laughs> decided to keep myself up. You do look a little bit, you know, less of the shadow yeah. on the face. You well, know. you mentioned Tariq Bracey. Howard Cross missed last week with an ankle Christmas started, but but Cross is supposed to be back. And, you know, again, we're going to get more into the Stanford head-to-head matchup in a little bit. I think that, that having Cross back could be big oh, against yeah. Stanford's offense today as well. Well, and obviously you lost Jacob Lacey before last game, and so that hurts the depth a little bit. And you know, you bring in Gabriel Rubio and 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 look, he he looked good at times, and then he looked like a rookie at times, right? Yeah. And so that's gonna be kind of a maturation process as well. And so, you know, yes, bringing him back and he'll probably be the starter there. That's that's a massive get back for Notre Dame. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, we were Originally going to have Ryan Roberts, our recruiting guy, on live, but he had something come up. We wanted to, you know, get the recruiting aspect of this weekend in here because it is a big recruiting weekend for Notre Dame. This night game, the uh, you know, the only night game, home night game in September, and you know, all that different stuff. And there are a lot of recruits that are going to be on campus today. So Ryan was good enough to uh, kind of pre-record a little recruiting piece for us. And he said toward the end, there's kind of a special surprise guest who popped in with him. So I have no idea who this is going to be. <laughs> so here's Ryan. 
When we come back after Ryan, we've got, of course, we'll get more into the Stanford matchup specifically. We've got our uh, game prediction that Charlie Weiss's last belt loop was uh, asking about. And we've got, you know, all kinds of stuff. We've got other national predictions still to come as well. We've just got it all today, Vince. That's why that's what we do. I mean, that's why you that's why you show up to IB Countdown to kick off because you bring up from all different angles. (laughs) That's right. So here's Ryan on how big this recruiting aspect is this weekend for Notre Dame. Good morning, IB Nation. It's a big Saturday here. Notre Dame taking on Stanford at home, which of course means it's another big recruiting weekend. Arguably the biggest recruiting weekend. Well, not arguable. It's the best recruiting weekend, biggest recruiting weekend. Until the Clemson game. So we wanted to give you a quick preview. So it is a Saturday morning in the Roberts household. So if you hear Juliet at any point in this video, please understand father life. You know what I'm saying? So let's get into some of the big visitors for the Notre Dame game against Stanford is going to be one that you will not want to miss. Of course, the big headline, big headline that we've been talking about for several weeks is 2023 running back recruits. Out of St. Louis, Missouri, Christian Brothers High School, of course, Jeremiah Love, who has been trending well in Notre Dame's favor over the last couple months, according to Irish Breakdown. Some others may not see it the same way, but we have been very, very on the forefront that we believe that Notre Dame has been the favorites for this one for some time. So after his visit last month for the Marshall game, he took one more visit for Texas A&M, Coming into this one, this one was a trip that was made a couple weeks ago, trip plans. We have been talking about that we expect this one to be done, made a decision sometime in the near future. So the fact that Notre Dame has gotten another visit for Jeremiah Love is obviously a great sign for the Irish. So keep your eyes out for Jeremiah Love here today. Big opportunity for Notre Dame to really put the finishing touches on this one potentially in his most recent visit here to South Bend for the Stanford game. Second player that you want to keep close eyes on, it'll actually be his first trip to South Bend ever. That is Mr. Brandon Hillman, who is an athlete out of Churchland High School in Portsmouth, Virginia. So this young man listed at 6'1", 200 pounds. If you watch his highlight tape, you'll see him at quarterback mostly, dynamic dual-threat quarterback for Churchland, But also defensively, he is a hard-hitting safety that comes down in the box, really has a lot of physicality to him. So Notre Dame offered him last month, and there is a big push now for Brandon Hillman for several programs. There's been a lot of of big players that have been keeping eyes on him, including the University of Tennessee. So with Hillman, Notre Dame sees this young man not at any one position right now. He could be a running back. He could be a wide receiver. He could be a safety. He could be a rover. Maybe even be a will linebacker if he gains enough weight. This kid is truly an athlete recruit in the Notre Dame class. This is not a plan B for Notre Dame either. This is a player that has gotten onto the radar a little later because at most of his recruitment, he was talking about, I'm a quarterback, I'm a quarterback, I'm a quarterback. He has now opened it up to playing uh, different positions on the next level. So Notre Dame is now making a big push. They want him in the class no matter what. This is not a plan B player. This is an athlete that Notre Dame truly wants in this class. So he is the other big 2023 player, 2023 uh, recruit, who will be on campus. This will be his first trip to South Bend. 
So it could be a big momentum boost, could be a big opportunity for Notre Dame to really make waves with a young man who is a little bit of a late riser in the recruiting ranking perspective, but has a lot of upside, obviously, as a player on the next level. Other big player that will be on campus for now the fourth time in the last year and a half, that is Ryan Wingo, star 2024 wide receiver out of St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. So Notre Dame is making a big push in St. Louis recent years. Talk about Gabriel Rubio, talk about Tyson Ford, talk about Christian Gray this cycle, potentially nabbing Jeremiah Love if everything goes well moving forward here. Next step will be for next class. Jeremiah McClellan for Christian Brothers is another big target. But Ryan Wingo, arguably the top receiver in the 2024 class, 6'2", 200 pounds, dynamic athlete. And so make no mistake about it, younger brother of former Arkansas running back Ronnie Wingo, this is a national recruit. Everyone from the SEC to the West Coast teams to all the Northern Powers are going to be in on Ryan Wingo. This is that type of football player. Consider him a five-star depending on which recruiting service that you like to covet, right? So for Ron, for Ryan, Notre Dame is going to have to win a dogfight here. Going to have to. But the key part here, and I want to reiterate this again, his fourth trip now to South Bend. He made one a couple months ago where he was talking about, hey, I don't need to check out South Bend. I've already been there, right? Like he wants to use recruiting process as a tool to see all the different schools and make a really good sound decision for himself. But the fact that he has now returned to South Bend again for a game visit is a really good sign. And especially with how Notre Dame has really made a push in the St. Louis area, if they're able to get a guy like Jeremiah Love to, on top of Christian Gray, maybe get in with Jeremiah McClellan in the 2024 class as well, this is where you really start to create a pipeline in St. Louis. So big opportunity today for Notre Dame to get in with Ryan Wingo, star pass catcher in 2024. As I said, Jeremiah McClellan, another big-time player from Christian Brothers. His improvement from twenty to uh, from 2021 to 2022 now as a junior has been kind of jaw-dropping, to be honest. He went from a really good player to in 2020 as a sophomore to now a dynamic player as a junior here. So he'll be on campus today. No surprise, as Jeremiah Love makes the return to South Bend. Jeremiah McClellan, his teammate, also makes the return to South Bend. There's interest here from both sides. I think I think there's a lot of interest. Notre Dame is definitely going to push for this one, especially with the jump that he has made as a junior. Jeremiah is very, very in on Notre Dame. He has a very high opinion of them. But again, this is going to be a dogfight. He's going to be a big riser in this class. He's already considered a pretty consensus top 200 player in the class. But I think that he even has a chance, like Cam Williams, to rise in the rankings. So they'll have to knock this one out of the park again. But you got to feel good about it. You have to feel good about it. Last one that I wanted to talk about extensively before throwing out a couple more notes for you all. Christopher Tarek, who is from Glenbard West in Glen Ellen, Illinois, 2023 offensive lineman. I know there's been a big talking point recently. Is there a replacement for Elijah Page in the 2023 class? Notre Dame does not have a real true left tackle in the class anymore since he decommitted and committed to USC. Can Christopher Tarek be that guy? So what this means is, is that Notre Dame is doing their due diligence on some offensive tackles in the 2023 class to potentially push it back to five. 
This is not a direct replacement, though, for Elijah Page. What this is is that Notre Dame is monitoring Christopher Terra because he right now is committed to the University of Wisconsin, and they are doing their homework, and this is going to be a, a big te- – I don't want to call it a test, but this is going to be a big opportunity for Notre Dame to get to face-face with Christopher to see if it's a good fit, to see if it's someone they want to push for. I don't think there's any plans right now to push for Christopher Tarek, but that could change if he impresses on campus, if he looks the part, the eye test, all that good stuff. So Christopher Tarek is worth keeping an eye on. I wouldn't say that he's a guy that Notre Dame is pushing for as of right now, but that could obviously change. But we will see. It's going to be a big opportunity for Christopher to get on campus here and see if it is a good fit. So big step there. Wanted to throw out this cool note. 2024 defensive end from Charlotte Christian in North Carolina. The son of former Notre Dame great Bryant Young and NFL Hall uh, Hall of Famer Bryce Young will be on campus here today. Now, he's not a... He's not a newcomer to Notre Dame, right? He's obviously grown up with his dad being an all-time great at in South Bend. So he is a six foot five, two hundred and fifteen pound, six foot four, depending on which recruiting ranking you're looking at. Still developing into his body. He did get an offer from Notre Dame, but I believe that Notre Dame is still doing the evaluation process with a guy like a Bryce Young, potential big riser in the class. More tools than finished product that you would expect from a junior with uh, with a Notre Dame offer, but he has a lot of tools. So getting Bryce Young on campus with Bryant today is going to be a big moment for Notre Dame. And then last one that I really want to hit on, a player that I know a couple people have asked about. He's on the visitor list for today. 2024 linebacker from Lovejoy High School in Lucas, Texas. That is Peyton Pierce, top 200 kid across the 2024 class at linebacker was asked what position is Peyton best at at the next level could be a Mike could be a will I think that he could be either he's got really nice speed reported to run in the high four fives low four sixes and he's a really physical downhill player as well so he could definitely play that Mike position we're not sure where they where Notre Dame stands with Peyton Pierce right now I would say this Notre Dame is doing an excellent job the last two cycles, really recruiting the linebacker position and continuing to harbor that momentum that they have with Marcus Freeman, with Al Golden, with James Laurinaitis, continuing to recruit the position at a high level. Could Peyton Pierce be the next? We'll see. I think this this uh, this, visit, this visit today will be a big opportunity to really probe interest because I think right now, from everything I've heard, Peyton is very intrigued by Notre Dame. But until he gets on campus and he really experiences it all, it's hard to tell what the extent of the interest is. So it'll be a big, big opportunity for Peyton Pierce to be on campus. Those are a lot of the notables. There will also be several other really talented players on campus. I think we have about 30 players that are expected in the 2023, 2024, and even 2025 class to be on campus today for Notre Dame, including – Several Notre Dame commits that will be back on campus. Quarterback C.J. Carr, 2024 quarterback out of Saline High School in the state of Michigan will be on campus. So will 2023 running back wide receiver Dylan Edwards play, projected to play wide receiver on the next level for Notre Dame out of Derby High School in Kansas. 2023 tight end out of Bloomfield Hills in Michigan, brother Rice, he is a preferred walk-on tight end. Hunter Gar- uh, Henry Garrity, excuse me, 
will also be on campus today. Of course, as you should expect, every single home game, Mr. Drake Bowen, linebacker out of Andrean High School 2023, will be on campus again today. Mentioned the St. Louis pipeline that is being built. Part of that is Christian Gray, the Smet Jesuit 2023 cornerback out of St. Louis, Missouri, will be on campus again today, which is another big help, I think, in this Jeremiah Love recruitment because they have a very good relationship. 2023 safety Ben Minich out of Westchester, Ohio, Lakota West High School will be on campus as well, as well as preferred walk-on kicker Marcelo Diomedi out of Glen Bard West High School in Glen Ellen, Illinois. So as you can see, it's a packed list. A lot of incredible players that will be on campus today for Notre Dame. Make sure to stay locked. IrishBreakdown.com. Go to boards.irishbreakdown.com. We will have consistent, consistent coverage of the recruiting weekend for Notre Dame. We'll be giving some tidbits on the board, as we always do after these big visits. And I'll also say this. If you have not heard, 3.30 Eastern time today. You want to get there a little bit beforehand. You're on campus at Notre Dame. Try to get near the Gold Dome at 3 o'clock. There will be more details we're going to have a special, special show here today. I think you're going to really enjoy what we have working for you there. Come here, Jules. And I think Juliet wants to come say hi. Come here, baby. Uh, so make sure that you lock in to 3 o'clock, 3.30 Eastern. We're going to have a special show with some special guests, special announcements. And with that, hi, we're going Daddy. to end this. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. Uh, Jules, can you say go Irish? Go Irish. Go Irish from Juliet. Have a great day. We'll be talking again to you all very soon. Remember, 3.30 Eastern time. Stay locked in. All right. That's Ryan Roberts, of course, our recruiting guy, who you guys all know and love. I know it. And uh, Juliet, the special guest there at the end. I wasn't expecting Juliet. No, no, not at all. <laughs> she nailed it, though, with the Go Irish at the end. And again, we've got some more people who've been uh, kind of joining in the live show as this show has gone on. So just to kind of reiterate, uh, 3.30, Brian Driscoll is going to be streaming a special live show from over by the Golden Dome. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of stuff going on. There's yep, a, just a big announcement. really freaking cool. That all we can say, see. big announcement. Yep. So check it out. If you're on campus, make sure you're there at 3.30. And I'm sure, you know, Brian will sign autographs afterwards, you know, things like that. But make sure you show up at 3.30, a little earlier. You want to be there a little earlier, so like 3.15, 3.20. Uh, but if not, you can definitely tune in on YouTube for the live uh, announcement. So make sure that everybody does that. Everybody. Yep. That's exactly right. And um, there's, uh, there's going to be even more news coming up later today that you're going to want to hear. So trust me, <clears> like <throat> if you think that what you got from Ryan was good, right, you know, just right now, We'll just wait until later on today. That's right. It's going to be really good. Going to knock it out of the park. All right. You want to talk a little Stanford now since uh, there Might is an well. opponent tonight? There is There is an opponent <laughs> now. It's not for a while. I mean, what, it was seven, eight, like nine hours from now? But it is coming, and it's going to be exciting. And if you're going to be there, I, I, you know what? I'll throw a plug in for Notre Dame. If you're going to be there, make sure that you download uh, the, the Notre Dame app on your phone because there's going to be like a light show thing that everybody can participate in. Um, let's see here. I know I've got it on here somewhere, but uh, 
let's see. Of course, it goes slow when you want it to. But anyway, the Fighting Irish app on your phone, you download it, you do some different things, and then your phone will be like auto-tuned to the light show. And I don't know, there's it's going to be some sort of audience participation. So I hadn't even heard this. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's actually really cool. So I did it, and I'll be in the press box, so it's probably not going to work out too well. But uh, it should be pretty cool. I, the technology amazes me. But uh, definitely download the app and participate. Yes. And I think maybe if I can, since some people missed, uh, you know, all the Ryan stuff, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're like, what did he say? Well, he said a lot, <laughs> so I can't recap yes, he did. everything. Yes, he did. Maybe, maybe if I have time when I'm done with the show, it just depends. Cause we got to, you know, I've got to upload the regular podcast and all that stuff. Maybe, uh, I, we can, we can get Ryan's, you know, recruiting specific piece loaded to youtube and, and there you go watch that later that's a good so, idea yeah absolutely yeah absolutely so it, it is notre dame and stanford tonight right this man this stanford team i just it's it sean it's hard to watch um took the words right out of my mouth <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to watch thank goodness we're not covering stanford this year you know this is year 12 for david shaw which is like this guy has been around for a while now and it's just Weird to see them one and four coming into today's game. And the only win is against Colgate. You know, yeah. it's like for one, why is Stanford playing Colgate? But two, that's their only win right yeah. now. It's Colgate. Yeah. Not not good, frankly. And <laughs> no. their other their other games really, I mean, they've been close-ish, but not anything that you would say, you know, that they're turning a corner or you know, anything like that. Like that's that's the biggest issue for me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. They've lost 10 straight Pac-12 games after losing 28-27 to Oregon State last week. And by the way, they had a fourth quarter lead in that game and lost that game by a point. And they've lost 11 consecutive uh, games to FBS opponents. I believe it was like last October 2nd. Last year, October 2nd was the last time they won against an FBS team, which is just amazing because... They averaged 10 wins a season between 2011 and 2018. Right. You know, and and Shaw, you know, so so think about that. They averaged 10 wins a year from 2011 to 2018. They have just 12 wins over the last three-plus seasons coming into tonight's game at Notre Dame Stadium. That's just – talk about the bottom just falling out on a team. I mean, it's not like they changed head coaches. It's not like the institution changed. It's just the bottom has fallen out. And for I can't believe that David Shaw has been there for 12 years. I, I mean, it, I don't know why, but it just doesn't seem like it's been that long. But the beginning, I mean, you could make the argument that the beginning of his tenure and all the success that he had while he was here was because of Jim Harbaugh. And, yeah. you know, once the Jim Harbaugh effect kind of wore off, that's kind of when, you know, Stanford's kind of started to hit the skids a little bit. And I know the admissions don't help anything, but they had the same admission standards when Jim Harbaugh was there. Right. And so that hasn't changed. I mean, that's the constant throughout. And they just haven't been able to pick up well, the ball and run with it. I think one area where they have been hit is the transfer portal. You know, they have lost some transfers. Yeah, that's true. They're in the same boat Notre Dame is with the incoming transfer you know like they, they have a better chance getting grad transfer type guys yeah. than undergrads just like notre dame and that 
the fact that they've lost some transfers and it's harder to get in, you know, traditional transfers. I think that that is, you know, now that's not, I don't think that, that you can make that a blanket excuse, you know, because this sure. is still a program that, that produced guys, you know, like Toby Gerhardt was tearing it up a few years back. And I, obviously Christian McCaffrey and, you know, they had some Stephen Taylor, you know, they've had some really good running backs go through there and they've had some really good quarterbacks as yeah. well, like Andrew and they, Luck. And, you know, they've, they've pumped out a lot of pro level quarterbacks, yes. even though they're not all stars like Andrew Luck you know, a lot of those kind of guys that have come through. And there. they got a good quarterback now, and they got a pretty decent running back in Emmett Smith Jr. or the third or however many Emmett Smiths there's been. Uh, but I mean they they've got a they've got decent skill kids. Yeah. It's just they can't seem to put it all together. And that seems to be the biggest issue for them. They're not yep. the running threat that they used to be, well, that's for sure. And that's the thing. They're definitely not winning in the trenches like we got used to seeing them. Right. Win. They rank 69th in the nation in total yards right now, 400 yards per game, which is currently two spots ahead of Marshall, four spots ahead of Cal, 10 spots ahead of next week's opponent UNLV in that department. So, you know, like kind of clustered in that same area. The rushing offense, though, a little over 138 a game, ranks 90th in the nation. Them and Boston College are dead last at 131 per game in terms of the two lowest uh, ranked rushing offenses the Irish are going to face this season. And it is crazy to think of a Stanford team ranked that low. It's like Stanford right now, 90th, Boston College is 131st. And those, you know, again, in terms of like rushing offenses Notre Dame will face this season, they're the two lowest ranked teams that Notre Dame is going to see. Well, do you remember when they were kind of in their heyday of winning 10 games a season? They would just keep rolling out tackles and putting yeah. putting like tight end numbers tackles on them. and tight ends. <laughs> and I mean, the tackles and the tight ends were unstinking, believable. And then they would have a pretty darn good quarterback like an Andrew Luck, you know, back there throwing the ball to six five, six six receivers, and their offense was rolling. And you would be black and blue after a game against Stanford. That is just not the case moving forward right now. And it, it's a shame. It really is a shame. And and people are, you know, like you said, you're you know, they got the transfer portal and all those different things. Well, it's your job as a coach is to have to keep those guys in house. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody's dealing with the same problems. Everybody's dealing with the transfer portal, whether in a positive way or a negative way, it's your job to keep those guys in house. And they're just not able to do that. And David Jones says, would you say Shaw is on the hot seat? I mean, I guess, but at the same time, I don't know that they care that much. I was going to say, Got the interview with the Stanford beat writer coming up here in a few minutes, and we we got into some of that stuff. So okay. that'll be coming. He we we talk specifically, you know, not just about this matchup, but specifically about some of the bigger picture things going on with Stanford. So that'll be coming up good. here in a few minutes. He'll uh, he'll kind of answer some of those questions that we've got. That's up good here. because I've got some questions about the Stanford program <laughs> yeah. and just why they have fallen off so hard. Yeah. You know, and, and again, I get admissions. I get all of that, right? It's it's actually, I believe, more difficult to get into Stanford than it is to get into Notre Dame. I think and, so. And that is a reality, you know. And, you know, based on U.S. News and World Report, Stanford is ranked <laughs> higher than Notre Dame academically. And so there there is that admissions part. I get that, but it's always been that way. Right, right. Specific to this year's Stanford team, Marcus Freeman talked about some aspects of their offense this week, like their – slow mesh RPO game. And here's what Freeman said about it. 
It's two different the, the dilemmas that it presents. Well, if you're in zone coverage, the minute you trigger um, as a linebacker to go stop the run, you're opening up space behind you um, that they can pull it and throw it, you know, and they're creating space and trying to put your, your linebackers in a run-pass conflict. Well, then the answer is, say, okay, go play man. Well, now you're playing man-to-man coverage and, and with no underneath help because the backers have to be able to respect that run game. And so you got to do some different things up front to try to – be able to have your backers play a little bit more patiently and you got to be able to play man-to-man coverage at times versus some big, tall, long wideouts. And so it's a really good um, scheme that they've done a good job of of being able to execute in games. And uh, it's going to be a big challenge for us. All right, Coach D'Addario, I'll uh, (laughs) I'll let you kind of share your thoughts on the, you know, the RPO and, you know, that that, that Stanford uses and, you know, kind of how Notre Dame can go about defending it. Well, the the easiest way to defend it is put pressure on the mesh, right? I mean, your your front is going to have to get in there and not allow them to sit there and do that slow mesh, kind of like what Wake Forest does, right? Right. They're they're even more deliberate than Stanford is. You just got to get in and you got to attack that mesh, uh, and that's why. And I know I'm using Wake Forest as an example, but that's why Clemson was always so successful against Wake Forest in the past when Brent Venables was there because he would just attack the mesh and just Mm -hmm. attack the mesh and attack the mesh. And the new defensive coordinator over there just didn't do that. And he allowed Wake Forest to pick them apart and go with that slow mesh. He was more worried about the back end as opposed to the front end. If I'm the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, if I'm Al Golden, I'm attacking that mesh, man. And I'm not allowing Stanford just to stand back there and have that deliberate slow mesh. You have to attack that mesh. Well, that's why I was saying getting Howard Cross back today at the point of attack can be really huge you know being able to have that and obviously the rotation behind him with Smith and Rubio but you know Cross is still he missed one game and he's still tied with uh two other guys uh, JD Bertrand and and DJ Brown for the second most tackles on this team Mm -hmm. right now with 23 and just the way he has you know been able to you know and he's not that huge classic 350 pound nose you know he moves and maybe that's what helps him a little bit more agility in there you know against the you know between him though and the linebackers obviously who we've talked quite a bit about that's going to be pretty important today and I just wonder like how much collaboration does Marcus Freeman have with Al Golden in a matchup like this? Because sure. this is not something that Golden, you know, has really seen as much of coming That's from where true. he's been the last few years in the NFL. They don't do that in the NFL. And so Brent Smith says, how do you define the mesh? The mesh is when the quarterback is holding the ball in the belly of the running back. And they literally will stand there and hold it while he is surveying right. what is going on. And he'll either release it or take it back right and so well, and again this comes down to reading the extra defender that we've talked yes. about before you can talk about that if you want with you know how what, what a quarterback is reading when he's deciding you know that rpo run pass option when he's making that decision right exactly so they literally stand there right there and the mesh is just when they're kind of combined right when the running back and the quarterback are touching they're right there. That's the mesh, right? It's part of like option, triple option Correct. offense with the quarterback and the fullback, that that initial and mesh. That's quick. Like triple yeah. option, it's quick. It's whoop, whoop, right. whoop. And it, but that's why the, it's the, in there. Yeah. That's why the mesh has it's to be so mesh. practiced and so rehearsed because it is so fast. And the feel of the ball in the stomach of the running back has to be a certain way to know if he actually is receiving the ball or if he's allowed to let it go and all of those different things. So 
it's just a different way to go about it. It allows the quarterback to read the defense a little bit longer. That's why they do it, which again is why I would say attack the mesh. Well, and I think a big a big factor in this game is Notre Dame is 18th in the nation right now, averaging three sacks per game, whereas Stanford ranks 128th out of 131, allowing four sacks Yikes. per game. So some teams have obviously found ways to attack that mesh over the course of this season. And again, so, you know, like when you look at this matchup and the fact that Stanford does not run the football the way they traditionally run it, I think that that, you know, like when you when you kind of uh, burrow down on this matchup, I think that that is a, is a big potential factor tonight. Oh, no doubt about it. I agree with you completely. They've got a big quarterback, Tanner McKee. He's 6'6", yeah. completing he's 63% boy. of his passes. He is. I mean, he can see over the line. He's not Drew Pine, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's your prototypical quarterback. He's That's all right. you want. He's That's all right. you want. But I think more importantly, his top four leading wide receivers are big as well. Michael Wilson is 6'2". Elijah Higgins is 6'3". Bryson Tremaine is 6'4". John Humphreys is 6'5". And those are their top Four yeah. leading wide receivers. Now they've got a, like a running back and a tight end mixed in, you know, so they're not like those those four guys aren't like the four leading receivers, but in terms of their leading wide receivers, those are the tight, you know, so they've they've got size. How do you think Notre Dame is going to be able to contend with that? They certainly have a type, don't they? Uh that yeah. they go out and recruit. <laughs> I mean, they they want that size, and that really does go back to when they were successful. I mean, their receivers were always big, right? And they would split out excuse me, they would split out their tight ends and they would, they'd look for, you know, physical matchups that they can win. And with the guys that you just described and the size that they have, they will win a lot of physical matchups, right? So what can Notre Dame do? Number one, they have to be physical at the line of scrimmage, right? You can't just give those big guys free releases. You can't, you can't do that. You have to be physical at the line of scrimmage, okay? And and whether that's run and press, you know, whatever that may be, you have to be that. And the safeties are going to have to be vigilant about what these receivers are doing. You know, you can't just double team one guy, but you got to play maybe some quarters or you got to play some halves. You got to do some things where you can come over the top and help out some of your smaller corners. Now, Notre Dame's corners aren't tiny by any stretch of the imagination. They're, they, they've got a little bit of size to them. And so I think the corners are going to be okay. Stanford's not going to run away from you, right? They're, they're not going to stretch the field like some other teams can do. It's literally going to be some jump balls. It's going to be leverage. It's going to be things like that. So the corners are going to have to be good about their fundamentals, right? They're going to have to be able to cut underneath. They're going to have to be, you know, they can't get lost. They can't get their hips, you know, lost in transition. So they're going to have to be good. And the safeties are going to have to be able to help out and come over the top. They can do that. I, I'm not overly worried about the pass game for Stanford. Now, granted, McKee is a very accurate quarterback. He's going to put the ball where these guys can go get the ball. Right. But the, Notre, Notre Dame needs helps them, obviously. They need to be disruptive. You yeah. know, defensive line needs to get their hands in the air. Got to start up front. That's where it has to start. And, that, and that's where the attack in the mesh, right? That's all kind of part and parcel with the whole thing. Don't let Tanner McKee sit in the pocket and pick you apart. He's got big dudes that he can go after. So yeah. don't let that happen. So, right. yes, you're 100% correct. That does start up front. Defensively, Stanford, whew, some numbers here. 110th in scoring defense, giving up 32 points a game. 
121st in rush defense, allowing 207 a game. 111th total defense, giving up 431 a game. They're actually decent on third down defense, 30th. But, you know, those, those other factors, I mean, man, it's like Notre Dame is now averaging about 175 rushing yards a game after going for 521 in the last two games combined. So do you think there's any reason to believe that that rushing offense for the Irish can be slowed down tonight? Uh, no, <laughs> I, do, I do not see that. I think, I think the game plan that Notre Dame has had the last few games, you know, run the ball first, play action, all – I think that plays right into the hand of this particular opponent in Stanford. I think they can run the ball for days against these guys. And when they start packing the box, that's when Notre Dame goes over the top. And I and I think they do have a quarterback that can do that, right? And I, I think we've seen it. And again, I want to keep seeing the playbook open up a little bit more for Drew Pine. I still want to see that. But I think they are going to be able to run the ball without much of an issue today, tonight. I agree. I agree. It should not be an issue. And, you know, I think that I, I think maybe we see an evolution of the passing game tonight as well. I kind of think you could. Uh, yeah. I think that's a this is a this is an opportunity for them to let, you know, Drew do some things in this game. Yeah. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.